I just want to say welcome. Some of you who don't know me, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we're, we're just going to continue to, kids, I, wa- I want you to be able to listen. And I'm going to make this as brief as I possibly can because I know you're ready to leave or go out to lunch. And normally you guys have activities on Sunday morning with Pastor Brenda. And you guys jump and dance and sing and yell and then sit down and listen to the lesson and then play some more. So I'm going to try to keep this as brief as I can. If your mom and dad start to fall asleep, just say, wake up, mom, dad, you're embarrassing me, okay? But I'll try to, I'll try to keep this as short as I possibly can this morning. Now, I want to ask, just starting off this morning, how many of you have a, cell, a smartphone, specifically a smartphone? How many of you, you can raise your hand. It doesn't matter what brand you have. Um, we're, we're not going to hate on any brands this morning, but how many of you have a smartphone? Now, the unique thing about smartphones is just simply this, that they have apps, And I don't know what your favorite app is. Maybe it's a gaming app or a social media app. Maybe it's an exercise app. Maybe it's the Bible app. If you haven't downloaded the Bible app to your phone, I want to encourage you to do that. They have the Bible in multiple languages, multiple translations. It's an incredible app. My favorite one, and I was talking to someone earlier here this morning, is the the map app. And I, I don't know if any of you, I don't know how I found places before I had my smartphone that could tell me, turn left and 300 feet, right? I don't know how I did that. And, and then I remembered it clicked. We used to stop at gas stations. Remember that? And we would ask the gas station attendant, hey, how do you get to whatever street? And, and that's how we got around. But, but all of the, these smartphones, they have these applications that you can use for music and all sorts of things. You've probably heard the term before. There's an app for that. Well, I just want to take a moment to talk to you about this morning. Did you know that the Bible has apps that the Bible has applications, just like your phone has applications. And here's the point. If you never download your applications, if you never open them up, then they're really of no use to you because application is everything. And it's the same thing with the Bible. We can open the Bible and we can hear great sermons from Pastor Dan and other guest speakers that come along here. But if we never apply those sermons to our life, they really don't do any good for us, do they? And these applications were written specifically to Christians. Did you know that? So if you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe you're new to the church or maybe someone invited you to come here this morning because they promised you they would take you to lunch afterwards or they said, hey, I'll introduce you to someone cute after the service. I, I don't know how they got you here, but, but if, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christ follower here this morning, you can just pick and choose what you want to apply to your life because you haven't made a commitment to follow Christ. But there's some of us that are in this room who've declared, hey, we want to follow God. We want to have a relationship with Jesus. We're supposed to be doing these things that the Bible talks about. It's on us that we're actually supposed to be applying these things to our lives. And I guess the best way to illustrate this is is that unless you have a relationship with God, and what I mean by relationship with God, I don't mean like, hey, we're all created by God, so all of us have a relationship with God. Kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. That's not what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about that you have a relationship. You, you guys know that the Bible's broken up into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? You guys are smart. You're a smart church. And, and so the, the word testament actually means covenant or, or contract or an agreement. And, and so God wrote these letters, the letters of Paul and James and Peter, the Gospels and the minor prophets and the major prophets, the Psalms, all of the things that we read in the Bible, God wrote those to a specific group of people who already had a relationship with him. 
He wrote this to a specific group of people who were already in covenant relationship with him. I guess the best way to illustrate this is I don't call my friend Felix and Jacqueline and say, hey, did Adrian go to math tutoring this week? And, and hey, I want to make sure, did, is Alex in bed because it's 7.30? And I, I told him to be in bed by 7.30, right? Hey, and all of your kids, Elena, she's not eating gluten, right? Because I don't want any of your kids to eat gluten. All of those things might be true, but I would never tell that to Felix and Jacqueline. Why? Because they're not my kids, right? If you've ever tried to parent someone else's kids, that's probably ended not too well. And it's the same way with these applications. God wrote these letters, wrote these commands. When we think of all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots and beatitudes and all of those things, God had written those to actually people he was in relationship with. But somewhere along the way, church, we lost sight of that. And, and I don't know where we did. I'm sure it's some pastor or preacher's fault hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I'll just take the blame for every pastor and preacher of all time, okay? Because somewhere along the way, church, this is what we did. We, we opened up the Bible and we looked and we said, hey, the Bible says that you're supposed to do X. And then we look at people outside of the church who, who don't claim to follow God, who don't claim to love Jesus, who don't claim to, to follow Scripture. And we say, hey, you're not doing this too well. And then the people outside of the church feel judged, don't they? I mean, maybe that's your whole reason. Maybe you're coming back to church today or it's been years since you've been in church and you left because you felt judged. You were just trying to check it out to see what the whole Jesus thing is about or the whole God thing is about. But whenever you walked into a building like this, it might not have been this church, but you felt looked down on. You felt judged and so you left the church. And, and if that's you, can I just say something to you sincerely? I'm sorry because that's not your fault. That's the church's fault. Shame on us. Because church, we were never called to judge outsiders. We were never called to judge unbelievers. We were never to hold up the scriptures and say to the world, hey, you're doing this wrong. Because that's like me trying to tell my neighbor's kids what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, and so this whole idea is this was written towards people who already had a relationship with God. You guys remember the Ten Commandments. Most of the kids, you guys have been studying that in kids' church. You, you know what I'm talking about. The Ten Commandments, those were written specifically to a group of people who had a relationship with God. When, when Moses came down to give the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, you guys remember that? Charlton Heston, he came down and, and he gave them to the Israelites. Th those were written to a specific group of people. And it was the people who had a relationship with God. God delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage after 400 years of slavery. The United States of America isn't even 300 years old, and the nation of Israel was in 400 years of slavery. God delivers them. The Bible tells us that they leave with the wealth of Egypt. God parts the Red Sea. He, he causes water to come from a rock and manna, the stuff that came down from heaven to, to make them bread. They called it manna because they didn't know what it was. He gives them a pillar of cloud by day to block the sun and a pillar of fire by night. Kids, that was the original nightlight. And, and, and so he guides them and he protects them and he leads them. And then they get to Mount Sinai and God says, hey, here's some laws. Here's some instructions. And, and it wasn't given for all people of all time from all languages. You know what? It, it, everyone can apply it to their life. Anyone can follow the Ten Commandments. But God said, this is a specific covenant with people that I'm in relationship with. And so if you've ever felt judged by a church person, 
In fact, the New Testament says this, and this sounds corny and my kids will make fun of me later, but, but I've learned this. The New Testament actually says we're supposed to judge the people that are inside of the church. Did you know that? Not the outsiders, not the people who don't claim to follow God or love Jesus. We're supposed to, follow, we're supposed to judge one another. We're supposed to hold one another accountable. We're supposed to encourage one another, love one another. All of those one another's that Paul talks about. And this is how I came to remember it. It's just simply this, and again, it's cheesy, so forgive me. It's this, judge the believing, not the heathen. If you don't get anything from my sermon this morning, maybe you'll remember that. Judge the believing, not the heathen. And so, because why? Because application is everything in our lives. Unless we apply God's word, Christians now, I'm talking to all the Christians in the room, unless we apply God's word to our life, it really doesn't make any So two people who camped out on this, the first person was Jesus, you would expect that. The second person was his little brother, James. And and I always find the book of James, it's one of my favorite books, very intriguing. Because think about this for a minute. What would your older brother have to do to prove to you that he's the son of God? I mean, I don't care what my brother did. He, I would never believe, even though he thinks he walks on water, I would never believe that my brother is the son of God. Why? I mean, maybe if he predicted his own death, died on a cross, and then rose on the third day, then maybe I would believe that he was the son of God. But at the beginning, James doesn't believe that Jesus is the son of God. In fact, he he doesn't follow him. He's not one of Jesus' followers. We don't see him in with the group. He doesn't come till later on. James doesn't believe it. but, But James is about to reveal to us this idea that application actually matters. It's application that matters. It's what you do that matters. So we're going to be in James chapter 1 in verse number 22. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. If you're new to the Bible, if you hit Peter, you've gone too far. It's Hebrews, James, first and second Peter. It's right in there. And this is what James, the brother of Jesus, writes to the church. In verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And so James, I love the Bible. He's about to unpack this. He's about to show us something. He's saying that you can listen. You can come here on a Sunday morning and actually listen to a sermon, listen to the the Bible. You can open it up at home. You can deceive yourself by just listening to the word. Because this is a problem that was happening 2,000 years ago in synagogue culture. This is a problem that still happens every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, every Sunday night, every time we open up the Bible. Because James, this is what he's explaining. Back then it was the same as it is now. We think that God is up in heaven, don't we? And we think he's looking down this morning and he's saying, oh, she's in church. Better parking spot on Thursday. Angels, make a note. Better parking spot on Thursday. She's in church this morning. Hey, he's in church this morning. He's gonna get the promotion. Gabriel, make a note right now. He's gonna get the promotion. He's in the building. Hey, he's in church. He's gonna actually get that date with that girl that he's been stalking, okay? He, he, he's, gonna, he's gonna finally get it. Why? Because we think that we get credit with God because we're, it's like God's up there. He's in the building. He's in the building, right? And so we think we get a gold star with God because we came in here, we sat in rows, and then we're thinking, God, hey, guess what? I I only fell asleep for 30% of the sermon, right, okay? And God, for 50% of the sermon, I was actually listening to that guy up there, and I wasn't counting the lights in the ceiling or the bricks on the wall. I was actually paying attention, and I wasn't playing Angry Birds on my phone. I mean, God, come on, don't I get credit for being in the building and so church, James is going to teach us and he's going to say, you, you think that by showing up and coming here 
that, that we get brownie points for showing up. And, and, and James is saying, you're so, you're so deceived because you think that there's value in something that is, is little value. If you, if you come in rows, you, you sit here, you sing some songs, you throw a couple of dollars into play. Oh, yeah, and I forgot about this part. And, and how many of you have ever been to church and you felt guilty about something in your life. Besides me, anyone in here ever felt guilty? Like, man, I'm just not cutting it as a parent, or I really need to work on that area of my life, or I, I really need to be more kind, or I, I really need to be more generous, and, and you feel convicted. What we do, I've got a lot of Catholic friends, and, and my dad grew up in, in the Catholic church, and what we do is this a lot of times. We equate our closeness with God with guilt. And the guiltier I feel, the closer that I feel to God don't we? we? We think if I feel guilty, then I feel close to God, that, that I've had some, in an American church culture, this is what we do. That's a religious experience because I came in and I felt so convicted and so sad, and I even cried a little bit, and, and, and all of a sudden I feel this guilt, but when I leave, I, I, I don't do anything with it, but, but I wanna, I, at least I felt guilty for it. Aren't you guys glad you came for this encouraging message this morning? to church. But listen, James goes on. This is what he says. Do not merely listen to word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Oh, hold on, James. Time out. Time out. I can't do what it says. If I actually start doing what it says, that's going to mess up my whole religious experience. I mean, James, I might start having a clear conscience. I might not feel guilty anymore. I mean, James, every time I feel guilty, I feel close to God. So, James, if I start doing what it says, then, then I'm not going to, it's going to mess up my whole church routine. And James is saying, you're so, you're so deceived. Do what it says. And then I love this next verse because James paints this incredible word picture for us. Listen to what he says. He says, those who listen, those who sit in rows, go to small group, go to Sunday school, take notes, those who listen to the words but do not do what it says is like a person who looks at their face in a mirror. Now, all of us probably have looked in a mirror at least once this morning, maybe five times, okay? All of us have looked in a mirror, and he says, they look in a mirror, and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. This is extraordinary. Here's what James is saying. He's saying this. It's like you waking up this morning, right? And you roll out of bed, and you walk into your bathroom, and this is what you say. When you open up, your, you wipe the sleep out of your eyes, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, oh, wow. Because your hair is doing this thing. And your face, it's all covered in eye sleep. And you're just, you look in your mirror and you're like, oh, wow. And ladies, just think about for a second all of the stuff you have on your bathroom counter for the morning. Oh, wow. None of you ladies have that? Okay, only my lady has that on her bathroom counter. I mean, think about it. When you travel, you, ch you have to carry an oh, wow bag with you, don't you? And what do you do? When you wake up in the morning, you go to work on your face and on your hair and you shave. Guys, you shave, you put your suit on, you brush your teeth. Why? We do all of that because when we look in the mirror, we're like, oh, wow. And James is saying this. He's saying, for those of you who come to church, you sit in rows and you hear Pastor Dan or one of our guest speakers preach an incredible message and you're like, oh, wow, I really need to work on that. Oh, wow, I really need to be more disciplined in that area of my life. Oh, wow, I really, I really need to change my heart in that area. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. But I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to go, oh, wow. And James is saying, you're deceiving yourselves. Because it's like you waking up in the mirror, and none of us would do that, right? When we pass the age of 13, we don't do that anymore. I mean, my teenage kids, they just look in the mirror, and they're like, I'm fine. And then they just walk away. 
But for the adults, all of you who are 20 and above or any of that age, you, you want to make sure that you look just right. And what James is trying to describe to his church is simply this. We care more about the things that are temporary and that don't really make that much of a difference in our lives sometimes than we care about the things that actually matter. The things that are important, how you live your life and the, the, what the Bible has to say about how you, you direct your life and how you live and how you treat others and how you treat your spouse and how you parent your kids, those things, how you spend your money, all of those things that really matter in life, sometimes we care more about how we look because we come to church and you look awesome. But then throughout the week, you don't behave awesome. And James is saying, if, if you don't apply it, You've deceived yourself. You, you've deceived yourself in, into believing that, that you're better or that things are better just because you showed up to church on a Sunday morning. He, he goes on. This is what he says. But those who look intently, and, and we all know about look intently, right? And, and I, I, I love this because last uh, Saturday, me and Malachi, we went to uh, Target with my wife and the girls, Abigail and Lily, and they're always in the makeup section, the hair dyeing section, the cosmetic section. So, but what me and Malachi have discovered is those big mirrors with the light around them. It, those are look intently mirrors. They magnify your face. Have you guys ever played with those before? Anybody besides me? I mean, we were pushing stuff out of our pores that we didn't even know existed. I mean, we could count all of the hairs in our nose. We, we could see all the way to the back of our brain. I mean, those were look intently mirrors. And, and James is describing, he says, those who look intently into the perfect law that gives, can you just say this word with me? Freedom. Is it up there? Freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. Hold on, James, wait a second. When I think of the Bible, when I think of all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots, I don't think of freedom. I, I mean, I think narrow. I think restricted. I think God doesn't want me to have any fun. I mean, when I think about the commands of the Bible, I don't think freedom. I think someone's putting shackles around my, my, my wrists and my ankles, and, and I'm never going to be able to have fun in my life again. James, I don't think about the Bible. When I think about the Bible, I don't think freedom. I, I think the opposite of freedom. And this is why I love the scripture so much. When I was a little boy, my parents taught me something. They said, Michael, whenever you get a dollar, you take a dime, you take 10 cents, and you give it to God. And you take the other 10 cents and you put it in a savings account. And then the other 80 cents, you can do whatever you want to. And they would remind me, Michael, all of it belongs to God. All of it comes from God. But he says he wants you to give 10%, and we want you to save 10%. And then the other 80%, you can do whatever you want to. And it, that was fine as long as it was a dollar. But then I started making hundreds of dollars and giving away hundreds of dollars and saving hundreds of dollars. That didn't feel like freedom, did it? But it felt like someone, that's my money. Someone's taking something from me. I, I don't want to give it away. That doesn't feel like freedom. But church, you know what's happened? That has resulted in financial freedom and blessing in my life. And some of you, come on, if you're honest, it, when you were younger, you said, you know what, I can do whatever I want with my money and I can spend it however I want to and I can buy that house and we've got to keep up with the Joneses and we've got to buy this car and buy this outfit and buy these clothes and so, and so I'm just going to spend, spend, spend and you've got credit card, credit card, credit card. That doesn't feel like freedom, does it? It feels like bondage. And, and what James is saying is you might not see it initially, but you will eventually experience it. 
Because the perfect law of God gives freedom. You, you know what else I was taught? I, I was taught at a young age this verse that, that God, his spirit, that we're the temples of God. And somehow this is mysterious to me and I can't fully explain it or fully understand it. But that the spirit of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, that he dwells inside of your body. And so it matters what you do with your body. It matters what you put inside of your body. And, and I was taught at a young age that God cares about morality and specifically sexuality and that sex was between a husband and, and a wife when in the, the confines of marriage and it was something beautiful and it was a gift from God. But when you're 17 and 16 years old, that, that doesn't feel like freedom, does it? it? It feels like someone's taking something away from you. And, because first of all, you're thinking, am I ever gonna get married and, and when you get married, do you even do that anymore? I mean, come on, some of you, you, that's what you thought. You're like, my parents don't even like each other. They don't even get along. I mean, are you kidding me? There's no way I, I can wait that long. But church, think about it. For those of us who were sexually active in high school, in college, in your young adult years, that didn't result in freedom, did it? That resulted in you having to deal with things in your heart in baggage that you had to bring to your marriage, maybe some counseling sessions that you and your future spouse had to go through, but you thought you were just sowing your wild oats and that you were just experiencing life and you could do whatever you wanted to. Come on, you know better than that. And I have friends, and I was around drugs in high school. I mean, they would buy sheets of acid and marijuana and cocaine, and, and all of my friends, they were doing drugs. And, and I, I looked at my friends, and I'm like, they, I'm not accountable to them because they don't care. They want me to do drugs. I'm not accountable to mom and dad because they don't even know I'm at this party. But I remembered these verses, that our bodies were, were temples. And come on, church. If you've ever had an addiction to a drug, if you've ever had abuse to alcohol, does that feel like freedom? No. Again, James is right. Once again, he shows us that when you look into the perfect law of God, it gives freedom. And I'm running out of time here, but I mean, I could go on and on and on. What about forgiveness? When I was young, I was taught that when someone wronged you, they, you were supposed to forgive them. Forgiveness is a triple whammy. It, it's like, God, I thought you were on my side. I thought you were going to strike them with lightning bolts. And, and I mean, they stole my idea. They stole my, my money. They, they took advantage of me. They manipulated me. God, you want me to forgive them? It, forgiveness feels like I'm letting them off the hook. But come on, church. Have you ever been a slave to anger? Have you ever been a slave to resentment or hatred? There's no freedom in that. And so on and on, James goes that if we look into the perfect law of freedom that gives life, if we do what the scripture says, and I'm closing right here, and this, this is the last verse that he says, but those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedoms and continue not forgetting what they have heard by doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Jesus the most incredible teacher in the world to ever live, preaches the most amazing sermon that Pastor Brenda just shared with us, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he ends this sermon this way. He says what Brenda said, that there was a foolish, there was a foolish man, and the foolish man built his house on the sand. And I didn't want to bring sand up here because I didn't want to have to clean up the mess later, so I improvised. This is something that's not sturdy. He says, the foolish man is the man who builds his house on the sand because he listens to the sermons, he goes to church, he takes notes, 
He goes to Sunday school. He goes to small group, but he never actually applies it to his life. And so he's like the man who builds his house on the sand. And then he says, but then the wise man is like someone, and Rick gave me these gloves. He's like, Michael, you can't mess up your manicure. He said, the, the wise man is like the man who builds his house on the rock. Jesus, you want me to do what? Forgive? That's like building your house on a rock. Jesus, you, you care about who I date? Jesus, that, that feels like I'm building my house on a rock. Jesus, you want me to submit to authority? Jesus, my parents aren't even Christians. You, you want me to submit to their authority? Jesus, that's like building my house on a rock. You, you want me to submit to the authority of the person that is my boss? Jesus, my boss, he's always taking advantage of me. That feels like I'm building my house on a rock. God, you care about how I manage my kids and my parenting? God, that feels like I'm building my house on a rock. Jesus, don't cheat. Everybody in my industry cheats. Everyone takes shortcuts. God, that feels like I'm building my house on a rock. Jesus is like, you're exactly right. That's why I made up this silly story. Because what Brenda said, the storms of life come. And this is going to be the storms of life for us. And all of us, whether you're an atheist, you're an agnostic, you don't believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. All of us know this is true, don't we? That the storms of life come to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're religious or you're not religious. You will one day face the storms of life. And Jesus says this, that if you're foolish, the foolish person is the person who hears the sermons every Sunday, who takes the notes. But when you leave here, you never apply it to your life. You feel guilty, you feel convicted, but you never apply it to your life. And Jesus says, you're like the foolish man. And whenever the storm comes, your house falls down. And church, as a pastor, I've only been doing this a very, very small amount of time. But as a pastor, I've sat with people who, who have come to my office and they're facing the storms of life and they're like, but I thought because I came to church that God was going to do A, B, and C, and D. But they never applied it. But Jesus says the one who brings, who builds his house on the rock when the storms come, because they're going to come, you're going to get wet. If you're a Christian, you're going to get wet. You're going to see the lightning. You're going to hear the thunder. You're going to face the storms of life. I promise you will. If you haven't, it just means this. You're still too young. Just give it time, and eventually you will face the storms of life. And so Jesus says, hey, this is the storm. It's coming. But the house that's built on the rock is going to Stand. So church, it's 12 o'clock and I want to be done. It's just simply this. My prayer, my hope for you is that this week when you look in your bathroom mirror, when you're doing your makeup at the stoplight, right? When you're fixing your hair, you're curling your hair, you're texting and you're driving all at the same time. That somehow, some way, that the Holy Spirit will bring this back to your memory. 
And you will pause when you're, men, when you're shaving, that you will pause and say, okay, God, I don't want to just focus on my exterior here. I want to build my house on the rock. I, I want, when I hear the word of God and, and the mirror of God's word is held up to my heart, I want to say, am I really living out what I say that I'm living out? Because when the storm comes, God, I want to be able to stand because I know the storms will come and they will, the waves will crash. But God, I'm going to stand because I'm standing with you and I'm applying your teachings and I'm doing what you're asking me to do. And sometimes it might not feel like freedom. It might not look like freedom, teenagers. But if I could get in your head and if I could warn you about anything, students, I would say if you would just listen to your mom and dad, if you would just listen to your youth pastors, if you would just listen to the pastors that preach to you, you could avoid so much pain, so much heartache, so much sin, so much regret, so many broken homes and tears if you would just listen and actually apply God's word to your life. But some of you, you're, you're just stubborn and you're not going to do it. And I'm just asking for God's grace and God's mercy in your life. I really am. And we'll be here as a church. We'll be here with open arms. When, when your house falls down, I promise you, we will be here with open arms. We'll come alongside of you. We'll pray with you. We'll counsel you. We'll encourage you. We'll try to help you out financially. I mean, whatever we can do. But I'm just telling you, if you would actually do what you know you're supposed to do, it would save you a lot of pain and a lot of regret. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for preserving this story for us for thousands and thousands of years. And God, I, I know we're all on dis different parts of our journey in our faith. But God, I pray this morning, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do? And then God, would you give us the courage to do it? God, we don't want to just hear your word and hear another great sermon and hear another great teaching and read some great verses and have a life verse but never actually live it out. God, we don't want to just go through the motions. And so, God, I pray for every person here, every man, woman, student, child that is here, help us to live out your word. Help us to live out your truth. And, God, when the storms come, I pray that we will be able to stand like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when we've done all that we could do to stand, we would stand firm, knowing that you are with us. So God bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.